This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Euro Graps Express. I'm your host Neil David and we're back once again to talk about all the exciting things that have been happening in British and European wrestling. I feel really strange recording this because the sun's up. I'm doing this on a, a Monday afternoon instead of late in the night because after six months of doing this without a hitch I finally <laughs> lost some audio and I'm absolutely gutted. I had laptop trouble. Um, my laptop decided to just stop charging, um, and I'd already recorded half the episode that I lost it. And like you would expect, it was the best audio I'd ever done. I've, I've recorded it after getting home from the Red Pro show at Victoria Warehouse in Trafford on Saturday, and I'd walked along Salford Quays for about an hour um, and, and soaked it all in, and I was feeling really introspective and, and really happy. I had a great night. I met lots and lots of cool people. Uh, and I, I'm quite. I'm, I, I've I've realised that when I do this podcast, that it's just me on my own in my kitchen shouting at my laptop. It probably sounds like I'm quite confident, but actually, when I meet people, I I, I find myself laughing awkwardly. And, and <laughs> when I walk away, I think that person probably think probably thinks I'm a massive bellend. Um, but I, I, you know, I I had a great time, and I, like I say, I, I didn't feel like that on my way home. I met loads of great people. I was walking along, and I, I was thinking about how Salford's the, the perfect place to live because it's this wonderful meeting of industry and, and an industrial past, working class, and then you've got the BBC and all sorts of gentrification here, and it's like two worlds have come together, and you can really experience the best and worst of humanity. And I, I talked about it for about ten minutes in a really interesting way. Um, but it's gone now. It's lost. It's gone forever. To be fair, actually saying that out loud, I probably sounded like a massive bell dinner. So it's probably <laughs> it's like I've stuck up my own back bottom. So it's probably for the best that it's been lost. But at the time, it felt really Dickensian and interesting. Um, but yeah, I had a great time at Red Pro on Saturday. I met Benno was there and he was there with Steph Chase. I met Gareth Elton from Twitter who said he really liked my podcast on Hungarian wrestling. And that meant a lot to me because... I'm really proud of that episode. I'd like, I genuinely am. I felt like I, I, I really that that to me is kind of the turning point in the six months where I don't think I'm good. I think I'm all right, but I felt like that Hungarian episode was where I found my voice a little bit. So the fact that someone has remembered it and mentioned it to me really meant a lot. Um, I also got the Ogden experience. The Ogden brothers were there, and they were both pissed, and it was brilliant. You know, he said, you know, that's your hands. And, you know, they, 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 it was just, it, Ogden's are exactly like you'd imagine from listening to the podcast and listening to the chants. And I, I was really glad I got to see him. Um, if you're listening to this because you listened to the Bushby and Benno stream, the charity stream that they did last weekend, welcome. 
Um, they did a charity stream uh, and they raised seventeen hundred pounds for a children's heart surgery uh, charity, which is is just unbelievable. Twenty four hours of podcasting. You know, I aim for this podcast to be about an hour and twenty minutes, hour and a half, depending on on how much I've got to talk about or how passionate I get. And I'm knackered by the end of it. I end up talking for probably about two hours by the time I've edited it down and had to redo things. But the fact they did 24 hours is, is just brilliant. And the fact that it was engaging all the way through, and obviously I didn't listen to all of it, but everything that I did listen to was was absolutely fantastic. And I, I was really honoured to play a part in it, really honoured to be, to, to be asked to be on it, first of all. Um, I was on about 8 o'clock in the morning. As the as the Brits were waking up, that was kind of... I, I, I was invited to be on at that time. And I felt a bit strange doing it because... I, di- I didn't really know what to do. I was listening to the person before me who'd come up with all sorts of games. He was asking them to, to, to work out, like, uh, you know, like weed streams or t- uh, songs, was it? I can't remember now. It was a great game. Anyway, it was, it was really entertaining. And I'm sat there listening to it for about 15, 20 minutes before I went on thinking, how quickly can I prepare a game? Because I've prepared basically nothing. So I made myself a coffee. I put an extra couple of grams in. And I, I, I just sort of played it by ear. You know, I was going to see how it went. Um, and I realised pretty quickly how tired they were. and just thought, Do you know what? I'm just going to talk. And when I talk, what can I talk the most passionately about? Well, if you've been listening for a while, you know the answer. It's how crap progress <laughs> So I just absolutely railed on progress for an hour. Um, and if that's attracted you to this podcast, welcome. Um, I do, I am often positive, I have to say. I, I, I try and be, uh, the whole point of this is it's a late night chat with a friend about wrestling. So I do try and talk about things that I like, but I, progress can't be as bad as they are and get away with it. Um, and it says a lot that everyone seems to agree, don't they? Critically, they're in the toilet. Uh, ticket-wise, they're in the toilet. And I've not watched or thought about them since. That's a lie, actually, isn't it? I've just said I've ranted about them for an hour. They're kind of my go-to. I think you're going to tell when I've had a bit of a shaky fortnight, when I've not found much to talk about, because I'll just watch a progress show and know I'm going to find something in it to absolutely batter. Like, apparently, Cara Noir is back. He was back the next night. So if you go back and listen to that episode, I, I, I absolutely ranted on this loser leaves town match. I, I, I hated it. I thought it was absolute garbage. And not only that, it didn't mean anything because he came back. But here's the thing, listener. He's not just back. He's back under his real name. Because Spike Trevay, he really did expose the lie that was Cara Noir. Apparently. I don't know. I didn't watch it. Um... Ian Hamilton DM'd me and said, have you watched it? This happened. And I went, Ian, I ain't watching it. I've made a promise. And we'll see how long that promise lasts. Uh, but for now, um, I'm, I'm sticking to it. So in terms of news uh, this fortnight, I don't really know what, what's gone on, really. There's somebody who I don't know, who apparently wrestles a lot in Scotland, announced for um, the N1, which is, which is great news. Um, but talking to Noah, the big news that I think's happened is they've finally, Wrestle Carnival have finally, finally released the card for their joint show with Noah. So we got this poster 
announced. It was a few months ago now. It was poster was released, and it was Wrestle Carnival's first anniversary. And this poster is 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 fireworks on it, and it's the first anniversary in big letters. Sunday, seventh of August, two thousand and two. And in the background, looming large, is the Noah logo, and it says Wrestle Carnival X Pro Wrestling Noah, the trendy X. They're crossed. They're together. You know. And a lot of people got really excited and a lot of people bought tickets. And I nearly did buy tickets. I didn't. Um, but not through any sort of sort of moralistic standpoint or anything like that. I just I just didn't get around to it. I forgot about it. And it just became one of those things. But I do have a bit of a rule, generally speaking, that says don't buy tickets if there's no card announced. And there are exceptions to that. It's not a hard and fast thing. And for me a joint show between Wrestle Carnival and Pro Wrestling Noah was going to break that rule. Because when I... I mean, I talked about this on the show a few... Well, it would have been a while ago now, wasn't it? A few months ago. I talked about it and I said, if someone like Cano is wrestling within driving distance of my house, I want to see that. If Marafuji is in the UK, I want to see it. But this is the card that we got. We've got Spike Trevay versus G-Money versus Adam Maxted, which sounds like hell, doesn't it? Let's be honest. I mean, I'm sure they're lovely people, three terrible wrestlers. We've got Lycos Jim versus Will Cruz and Brady Phillips. I love Will Cruz. The rest, whatever. Lizzie Evo versus Emerson Jane. Alex Windsor versus Jetta with uh, Charlie Morgan as an enforcer. Charles Crowley versus Man Like Darice. And Hayata versus Chris Ridgway. Spot the Noah star. There isn't one, is there? Now, I know you might be thinking Hayata. And they're going to absolutely try and persuade you that Hayata is the star. But this card is just a massive letdown. And I put this on Twitter and I got a reply from Wrestle Carnival themselves. And they they said that things fell through. They were given expectations of much more. And I don't really know how I feel about that because on the one hand, I absolutely believe them. I absolutely believe Gary Ward that he expected more. He probably did. You're not going to make that poster based on Hayata coming over and nobody else. Nobody is that carny. And I don't believe Gary Ward is. I think he's a, a promoter who, generally speaking, I'm not a huge fan of Wrestle Carnival, if I'm honest, but he, he knows wrestling. He knows what people expect. And he knows when he puts that poster out, there's going to be expectations. And people replied to the tweet saying, I bought a ticket to go and see Noah Stars. But at the same time, it is what it is. You know, Chris made the great point that, you know, it it seemed fairly clear not very long after it was announced that there was going to be minimal Noah. And I completely agree with you, Chris. I I think you're spot on. I, I, I think that, you know, they weren't going to be selling many tickets based on announcing nothing. And it, it was a it was a little bit of a shame. It's funny, isn't it? Because obviously in this relationship, Wrestle Carnival are the small guys. Then what can they do? Can they give a middle finger to pro wrestling Noah like they probably want to? Well, no, you can't, can you? Because you you need to make good on this promise, I think. You know, the the, the and they rely on they're gonna rely on that relationship much more than Noah are. But at the same time, you promise your fans a joint show and you've not delivered it. 
Should they have offered refunds? Can they afford to offer refunds? I doubt it. It's just it's just a horrible situation all round for everybody. It's a horrible situation for Wrestle Carnival. It's a horrible situation for the fans who bought tickets expected to see to see Noah Stars. I don't know. I just I think it's just a really difficult situation for everybody. I mean, I didn't buy a ticket, and I'm glad that I didn't because actually, what I was going to do is buy a ticket in a hotel room. Imagine I bought a ticket in a hotel room, and this was the card. It is. She said by much cleverer people than me, a very, very bog standard Brit rest card and Hayata. Anyway, it is what it is. Um, not a lot we can do, and I'm sure I'm sh- I'm sure something will happen in future. I'm sure something will happen that'll make it good, and I hope it does. But if I'm honest, I'm not buying the ticket before I've seen the card, you know, ever again for a Wrestle Carnival show. This was promised as a joint show. It's not delivered. Anyway, let's talk about some wrestling that I did enjoy. Because as as I say, I went to Red Pro Summer Sizzler this weekend. It was an interesting card. There were some good things. There were some not so good things. So let's go through them and I'll tell you what I liked and what I didn't. First of all, the venue's getting a bit of a battering. It was uh, Victoria Warehouse in uh, Manchester. Well, actually Trafford, technically. Um, but like, I'm not going to be that guy, don't worry. I remember before I moved to Salford, I used to get really confused by Salfordians who'd get really angry. I am born in Manchester, raised in Manchester. And I'd get really confused when Salfordians would get really defensive about it. You know, They'd say, oh, Salford was a city first. And now I've lived here for 15 years. I do the same. I, uh, I scream that Salford was a city first. Um, anyway, um, yeah, it's not a great venue, to be honest with you. It's very much just a room. And a lot of people have been saying that the crowd were dead. And I don't know if the crowd were dead, because you could sort of hear chants going on at different parts. And you know, when you can tell that large amounts of people are chanting, but it still seems quite quiet because of some weird acoustics. I don't know if, if, because it's just essentially a cavernous room, that you don't get the atmosphere because you can't really hear what's going on when it's not in your immediate vicinity. I, I, I don't know. It, it felt like the atmosphere at certain points was really lively, especially, well, I'll, I'll talk about specifically which matches le- uh, later. So I don't know if it was a venue problem or whether it was just a, a crowd problem. I, I, I don't know. Um, surely the fact that it changes by match to match would suggest that the venue had nothing to do with it. Uh, it's not the easiest venue to get to as well for a lot of people, which I think is uh, is part of it. Um, for me, it's great. I can walk to it from my house. Um, but I know if you're getting tram... You know, if you say you get the train into Manchester, it's then a tram out to Trafford. It's basically near Old Trafford Soccer Ground. So that gives you a little bit of context. It's not in the city centre at all. You know, you do need to think about transport and, and getting there. It's a change. So maybe that's part of it. Because uh, they do advertise it as being in Manchester. So, I don't know. Um, so, let's talk about the card then. We opened with an AEW All-Atlantic Championship number one contender scramble match. And in the last episode, I was raving about what Pac was doing. I thought it was a great idea and a very romantic idea in some ways to have this travelling championship. You know, that it's the All-Atlantic, even though it's got the Japanese flag on it. 
but it's going to be the traveling belt for people like Pac, who obviously want to spend lots of time home. I believe he's still based in England. He's not moved to America. And it means that he can still essentially work for AEW, have this belt going round, put eyes on promotions. And I thought it was great. And we we, we talked about it last week, actually. Um, sorry, last fortnight, if you want to hear more about my thoughts on that. But actually going to a show, I don't know if those thoughts are still relevant anymore. We'll talk about that when we get to the main event. So let's talk about this match in particular. Uh, it was Will Cruz against Man Like Darice, against RKJ, against Robbie X, against Connor Mills, against Callum Newman. And they told us that one of those wrestlers was going to go through to the main event and face Pac. Great. I thought, we're getting a scramble to open, which is always really exciting. I'm a big advocate for having a spot fest to open matches. I think, you know, getting the energy going is, is really important. Do you ever go and see a band... And they open with like an introspective ballad to try and sort of set the mood. And it never really works, does it? I think bands should come out with the biggest, you know, like a big hit first. Like when Metallica, they open sometimes with Enter Sandman. And it just gets everybody really into it and excited. And I think wrestling needs to take that. I think you shouldn't have a technical masterpiece to start your shows. I think you should have something like this, a six-man scramble. And it opened with Will Cruz coming out first. And Will Cruz is a wrestler who, I realise this, I don't think I've seen him live. I feel like I should have done. I feel like I should have done it. I feel like I have, but I don't really remember it. But I have to say, his entrance here was fantastic. He's got a great look, Will Cruz. He comes out to his, his heavy metal soundtrack. He thuds his way to the ring wearing a big fur coat. And he looks like he should be in all Japan. He gets the pace of his entrance perfect. He walks forward to the ring along the ramp looking dead ahead. And he he looks like he's there to mess people up. And I love that in a wrestler. I've talked about one of my favourite Lanzarisms before is that um, I like my wrestlers to have a cape and a scowl. And I think Will Cruz has got that to perfection. RKJ and Robbie X, super over. Everybody was really into them. A man like Darice as well. I've been saying I wanted to see him back in RevPro in a proper promotion, doing proper work. But I was a little bit worried about how well the gimmick would come over because it's a bit of a cool gimmick. And in RevPro, we're all a bunch of dorks, aren't we? But everyone loved it. And he was so over and his natural charisma um, was, was, was palpable. And then you've got Callum Newman, Will Ospreay's protege, who... When you see live, you forget he's actually really big. He's really tall. I think he's still very young, so he's still going to build out and he's still going to put muscle on. But he, he's, he's a big lad and he's incredibly fast. He's, you know, they call him the Prince of Pace and it's a nickname that's well earned. And then you had Connor Mills. And I thought, I like Connor Mills. He's a really good veteran to have in this. You know, you've got RKJ. Robbie X and Connor Mills who were in there to keep this steady and it'll let one of the younger wrestlers take that spot in the main event to have an exciting match. And they presented these options to us and immediately in my head as this match is going on, the match was was fine. You know, it was was a difficult one to rate, I suppose, from a star rating point of view because it was a scramble. It was a mad bit of action to get the crowd excited and I like that it's, it's, it's a difficult match to kind of star rate because it was a spot fest essentially but it was really really good and as I'm watching 
Will Cruz get into a slap fest with RKJ. And I'm watching Robbie X do his amazing flips and Callum Newman keep up with him. And man like Darish just be this absolute charisma machine. I'm almost fantasy booking these matches in my head. I'm thinking, oh, we're going to get Pac against Will Cruz, which will be really interesting because we know Pac can have a good match with anyone. But to see what Will Cruz can do, put him to the test. He's reaching the point now where he's being booked in more places and he's getting a bit of a buzz behind him. And he's got a style that you don't really see very often, that big man, that bruiser, that fighter. We've got RKJ, who for my money, is the best wrestler in Europe. You know, could this be his chance to get on AEW TV? Because this was being filmed for the same deal as last time. I assume it's going to be on Dark and Highlights on Dynamite. You're going to see RKJ, exciting, amazing, an absolutely captivating wrestler who who will be a star. He will be a massive star. And again, you are Callum Newman, and you know, like, Pac is brilliant at this character, and he never breaks it, and he's super consistent, but you know he's one of us, and you know that he would put some a guy like Callum Newman over big time. And Callum Newman would take that opportunity and grab it with both hands. And then you've got Robbie X, who I think is one of the most underrated wrestlers this country has ever produced. Do I wish he'd got ripped and shaved his head years ago? Yes, I do, but he didn't. We're here now, it doesn't matter. And he can have a great match with anybody. And think of the match he can have with Pac. And then we have Connor Mills. I really like Connor Mills, I do. And he, he gets criticism for being a bit of a charisma vortex. And a lot I'll be honest with you, over the years, a lot of that criticism has come from me. But he's one of those wrestlers who isn't very exciting. But you know he's going to deliver to a certain extent. And when you put him in the ring with someone like Michael Oku and you give him that brilliant story they've been telling about the friction between the two of them, he can really do wonders. But do I want to see him in the main event against Pac? No, I don't. It's, it's, what, it's, it's what I'm inferring here. I'm saying I don't. And guess who won? Connor Mills. And in a way, this was much, much worse than just saying Pac against Connor Mills. Because I've just talked you through my thought process of what was happening during this match. I was wondering what the Will Cruz match would be like. I was wondering what the Man Like Darius match would be like, or the RKJ, or the Robbie X, or the Callum Newman match. I didn't wonder what the Connor Mills match was going to be like. Connor Mills is what the flagship call a fine veteran hand. And I felt like when he won, the air was sucked out. And I feel bad saying this, because I'm, I'm sure he's a top. Lad. You know, I'm sure he's a really nice bloke. He, 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 you get the impression that he's a good... He's just, there's just something about him that's missing. I think it's because he isn't often very natural. I find with Connor Mills, he really, really wants to be the tough guy. And he just can't do it. And in a way, it's frustrating because he doesn't need to be the tough guy. You know, I, I often think this about wrestlers, is that if you're smaller... You don't, you know, they can often have that sort of, I don't know, that desire to kind of puff the chest out and strut and play, the, you know, be really mean and really angry. And it, there's a bit of a juxtaposition there sometimes when with what you're actually seeing in front of you. And Connor Mills can tell a great story. He's a competent wrestler, 
but he just doesn't come across as intimidating. He comes across like someone who is trying to be intimidating. I don't know if it's the look, particularly the hair. I, I don't know if that if that's what it is. I, 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 I don't know. But I just never believe that he's the tough guy, but he's really pushing for that to be his gimmick. I think there's a lot about his work that I don't really like. Like, he does the really awkward... You know the John Moxley thing where he, he, he gets thrown against the ropes and he kind of sticks his head between the second and the top rope and bounces back with the clothesline? I have two problems with that. It's one, that it's very closely linked to John Moxley now, and that's all I think of when I see it. And secondly, it's bad even when John Moxley does it. It's awkward and clunky. It takes so long to do, it feels like someone's just stood around waiting for a clothesline. And it's a shame because a lot of the work he does is really good. You know, he does lots of great cutters and bulldogs and, and, and leaps around the ropes. I think ultimately the problem is here, though, is and I'm probably being a little bit harsh on him, that ultimately the problem was is that you presented me five significantly more exciting matches than Callum Newman, uh, than, um, sorry, than um, Connor Mills. That's my issue with it more than anything. And obviously, we'll t- we'll talk about how that match went uh, when we get to the main event. But next, we had a, a really intriguing match. We had Yota Suji against Shota Umino. This is, you know, it's, it's weird, this match, because it feels like when that's presented to you and you're watching these two on an excursion, there's kind of a background bubble and excitement there, isn't there? That, that everybody wants to see the next, like the, the next big thing first. You know, like imagine you're in Mexico and you were watching Hiromu and Dragon Lee when they when uh, Hiromu was on excursion, and you knew you were seeing something special. And this part of the Rev Pro fan, when we get these New Japan young boys on excursion, that we want that to be true for us as well. We want to see the next amazing thing, and I'm seeing a lot of reports that a, that this match was amazing that these guys put on a bona fide classic and that it was something that's suggesting that we'll be seeing this at the Tokyo Dome in years to come and when they do those those video packages and they look back on the wrestlers history together that we'll be seeing these two and Chris Samson will be giving Kevin Kelly little tidbits from RevPro in Victoria Warehouse to talk about it wasn't very good. It wasn't... Do you know, actually, that's that's harsh. It was good. And that's about it. And I feel like I'm one of those people that if everybody's seen, saying something's great, I don't know if this is a fault with me, but it feels like the, the bad sort of aspects of it are brought to the forefront. And maybe that's a fault within me. But I thought this match was full of lots of great individual moments there were lots of sections that were absolutely fantastic it was the glue that stuck all those parts together that was missing it was a very clunky match that it when they were in a flow together and when they were able to go back and forth it worked really well but it was getting from one bit to the next that it, it lacked that smoothness and that clarity of story. I really like Yotosuji as a heel. He's got this great smug grin. You know, and he, he does the fan thing. Like, he gets 
somebody in a hold and he does the fan thing that, that I don't I don't love. I think I think that's a bit corny. But he's getting there with it. And Shota's starting to put a bit of effort in. And I, that was always my issue, really, with Shota on his on his excursion. Is that I never really felt like we were getting top effort. You know, he he, he let himself go over... I mean, I'm, I, I realise I'm saying this, he let himself go. Um, I am not in perfect condition myself. So please take that purely as I'm thinking of wrestling as an aesthetic business. You know, and I'm not... <laughs> I think more people should let themselves go, to be quite frank. I think you'd be happier. But he you could tell he wasn't quite as committed to it as he perhaps had a bit at the start. His work was starting to slack off a little bit in the ring. But he's back now, I think, and he was really putting the effort in. The problem is is that I think Shota Umino feels like he's wrestling a, a couple of miles an hour too slow. It feels like he's not quite wrestling at top speed. I probably gave this match three and a half stars. I think if I was feeling particularly fruity, like on my way home uh, from from uh, from Victoria Warehouse, I could go up to three and three quarter stars. If I had that little bit of bubble about my step that I had the other day, I think on reflection, I'd probably give it three and a quarter. Actually, Luna in the Eurograps Express Discord, which you should absolutely go in, by the way. It's the part of the Voices of Wrestling Discord in this Eurograps Express room, and they gave it a star and a half. So that's kind of how... Um, divisive this match has been. I'm seeing people saying it was a great match, which to me hints at, you know, four and a half plus. So then people giving it a star and a half. And I'm, I'm kind of somewhere in between. So this will be a really interesting one for people to go and watch again on VOD and see how you actually felt. I felt like the feeling in the room afterwards when I was speaking to people at the interval and afterwards, it felt like it was okay. It was good. You know, it was entertaining. But then sort of going online and speaking to people, it seems like there's opinions going going both ways. So it'll be interesting when you watch it. If you were well, if you were there, let me know. But if you watch it on VOD and let me know what you think. Then we had the tag team match, uh, Sunshine Machine against Kid Lycos. What else do I say about Kid the uh, the Lycos gym? I I just. They did the baking tray thing. They did the elastic band in the mouth thing. And it's a shame because there were parts of this that I was absolutely and utterly invested in. And that's why I get so frustrated with Lycos Jim. There were parts when... Because Sunshine Machine... I don't need to talk about Sunshine Machine. They're great. You know, the, I really feel like that is a tag team that should have started years ago. You know, Chuck Mambo in particular was a wrestler who I, I never really got. He was I mean, he was never really someone to get, I think. He was always kind of a mid-carder, and he, he is now, I suppose. Um, but he was never really pushed until Riptide in any sort of meaningful way. And I, he was never somebody I really gave much thought to or paid much attention to. He was a wrestler that I didn't really enjoy, and I never gave it much thought beyond that. But I was wrong. That that I, I was completely wrong to dismiss him because he showed in this tag team just how fantastic he is, and he's he's got that charisma. He's 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 able to do what a lot of people want to do, kind of bounce around and be that bl- bright blue eye baby face, without being corny and without being cheesy, and that's really really difficult. I I really do. I I think that's really really hard to do. So. I was really into this. I really wanted to be into this. But 
you always know a kid like us that those baking trays are just round the corner. You know, when we're seeing cool stuff like Chuck Mambo walk along the guardrail and, you know, being as charismatic as he is, and we get in TK Cooper do his amazing headbutts and, and just be TK Cooper, great wrestler, charismatic wrestler. And kid like the like us, Jim, both of them are so competent, so good wrestlers. Yet they insist on doing bad things. And it just sort of takes the match down a peg or two. And they lost the match, you know, and I'm glad they did because I don't really want to see them as tag team champions. And I like Sunshine Machine. I like the fact that they're dominant tag team champions. I like the fact that Man Like Doris is working with Red Pro as well because that says we might get the 0-1-2-1. And Sunshine Machine and 0-1-2-1 have had some bangers in progress and I, I think they can... So, I'm sorry about that. I had some bangers. Where did that come from? Do I say that a lot? I've just realised because when people say that was a banger, I feel like... I don't judge them because I think people should use language how they see fit. But I'd, I sort of go, okay, I've got the measure of you. But am I the sort of person that maybe I am? Anyway, they, they, they could have some great matches. Uh, I'm actually kind of gutted that Dan Maloney wasn't on this card because I think Dan Maloney's brilliant. I, I, I do. And the 0-1-2-1 are, are, are a really brilliant team. Anyway, uh, next up we have Francisco Akira against Speedball Mike Bailey. Mike Bailey's a, a strange wrestler for me because he's a wrestler that I don't really like. And... I don't know why. I I don't know if it's because. And I realise this is an unpopular opinion because I think it's important sometimes to recognise that sometimes you're probably just wrong. And I, I'm probably just wrong about Speedball Mike Bailey because he's incredibly over. He was so over in that room. And this is what made me doubt whether the acoustics were bad because... People really, really like Speedball Mike Bailey, especially in Germany and, and, and England. He, people really see something in him. But I feel sometimes with him is that as talented as, as he is, as brilliant as he is at constructing matches and as exciting and as innovative as his offense is, there was there's always that little bit of irony with him, like with the, the dorky kung fu thing. It feels with Mike Bailey like I'm watching a gimmick and I know that's a really strange thing for a wrestling fan <laughs> a wrestling fan to have a problem with is that someone has a gimmick but there's lines isn't there and there's levels like the gimmicks I like are Osprey's gimmick you know that he's just this meet me at McDonald's chav with the gold chain who's an absolute tosspot, who slags everyone off, who thinks he's better than everyone else, and do you know what he actually is? Or you've got the Tanahashi gimmick, who is this ethereal gift from the gods, who's been sent down to radiate peace and love. And they're gimmicks that are a little bit seamless. You know, you can't really see the cogs working. That's what it is, actually. I feel like with Speedball Mike Bailey, when he's doing his kung fu... I can feel the cogs working a little bit. So I find it hard to get excited for his matches, but I tell you what, when those matches start, I beat the kung fu stuff he does. He's brilliant. The double knee stomps, amazing. And Francesco Akira, he's one to watch, isn't he? 
I know he's a New Japan star now, and he's hopefully that link is going to be kept up, you know, because he's he's not only tied to New Japan, but he's tied to Osprey in particular. So there's kind of a double reason why we're going to keep getting him over here. And I think he's a very, very exciting wrestler. I've seen bits and pieces of him in all Japan, uh, but Italian graps isn't something that I've ever got to grips with. So what work he's done over there, I don't know. But I've, I've always liked him. And when they signed him New Japan, I thought, oh yeah, that, that could be interesting. And again, this match wasn't, it wasn't going to blow anyone's mind, I don't think. It wasn't going to be particularly um, on any match of the year list, but it was a really solid match. It was it was, it was was really interesting. Um, and yeah, I really liked it. I still really like Francesco Akira. Then it was the interval, and I went out and I had a chat with uh, Benno and uh, Gareth Eldon, which I would rate five stars. Uh, and I was back inside to watch Alex Windsor against Alexis Falcon. Alex Windsor is brilliant. She is brilliant. And I, I'm, I, I feel like I've been critical of Alex Windsor in the past and I've not really got it or she's not shown it. But something about Alex Windsor in the last few months has just clicked. And I think part of it was seeing her live. She walked out and she carries herself like a star. There's just something about a champion with confidence that is impossible not to watch. She looked like an, a million dollars. And just, just not, and she doesn't look any different. She, she's got the same gear, the same st- look that she's always had it's just something about the way she carries herself now and she's I've got it it clicked for me straight away when she came out and I think it was interesting seeing her against Alexis Falcon because Alexis Falcon is kind of the opposite of that I think Alexis Falcon is still very much in the learning how to be a heel stage you know she's listening to people in the crowd and responding to them in a bit of an awkward way in trying to be a heel, but she didn't quite have the banter. She didn't quite have that snappy back and forth that she needed, and she would have been much better served by scowling. To be honest with you, and this match, this match was okay. It was fine. It was a, a solid win for Alex Windsor, and they're really building her up to be dominant, and I, I like that. And I think really. Andy's not been left with much of a choice with the way the women's division is. You know, it's not the most exciting division at the moment. Um, you know, and, and I think really the best thing they can do in the meantime is build Alex Windsor up as being unstoppable. And I, I think it was a smart booking decision. Yeah, I know Alexis Falcon won the Queen of the Ring, and it, it wasn't quite a squash. Alexis Falcon did get quite a lot in, but it was also a dominant win for Windsor. It, it, it wasn't there was never any danger of her losing the belt. Which I think especially now she's a champion. Is it Tokyo Joshi Pro she's a champion? Joshi is a big, big blind spot for me. There's, if you do want to find out more about Joshi, you've got Jumping Bomb Audio and a lot of the work that Scott Edwards does for the website as well, VoicesOfWrestling.com, that is fantastic. Uh, I sort of keep up with it through that really, but it's not something that I'm an expert on so you'd have to go to them to find out how well she's doing over there but it seems like that work has done the world of good next match I've been waiting to talk about this one I really have been dying to talk about this one it was Luke Jacobs defeating Michael Oku 
to become the British Cruiserweight Champion. I've been probably harsher on Luke Jacobs than I have on any wrestler, I think. And I do sometimes wonder if I'm being a bit unfair. My position on Luke Jacobs for a good few months now has been, okay, you need to have a great match. He was in this tag team called the Young Guns with Ethan Allen, and they were really red hot. They were in a scene that was stripped of talent for lots of different reasons. They were shining lights. They were clearly very, very raw talents. Ethan was more charismatic. Luke was a slightly better worker. But together in Northwest Strong, it felt like we were onto something special. Especially if you're like me and from Manchester and Salford and you're in those sort of training schools and areas where they were working. And I know the Ogdens absolutely rave about them and, and, and rightly so as well. They really felt like natural talents. The problem is they got pushed too hard too soon. And that's not their fault. And it actually, it's not even the booker's fault. It's not the promoter's fault. It was, as I said, it was a, it was a scene absolutely stripped bare of talent and you had to book what you had. And what they really needed was that those years, I was going to say months then, but it's not, it's years. They needed those years of practicing in front of crowds, getting better, but instead they were pushed to the top in a lot of places. The last time I saw them in Manchester was at the Red Pro show a year ago, and they were against Aussie Open and they got eaten up. They got eaten up. They couldn't keep up with the bigger men. They, they It was a good match, but it, it wasn't a great match. And in a way, it's really unfair to judge them by those standards because, of course, they're not going to be having great matches. But, like I said earlier on, sometimes you've just got to judge things on face value and you've just got to take them for what they are and analyse what's in front of you. And Luke Jacobs, for me, became the three and the three-quarter star special. The three and the three-quarter star special. The three and three-quarter star special. The 3.75. I was really waiting constantly for him to have a great match. And in a way, he's been gifted an opportunity because Ethan Allen was injured. And that sounds like a really harsh thing to say. Obviously, I'm not wishing that injury on Ethan Allen. Please don't take that from what I'm saying. In an ideal world, if you could you know, plot these things out, you wouldn't have had him injured. They'd have carried on being a tag team. But in a way, for Luke Jacobs, he was given an unfortunate, but also on the one hand, a fortunate opportunity to really go on a bit of a singles run. And he won the Atlas Championship. And he had a load of singles matches in Red Pro. And like I say, he peaked at three and three quarters. And the criticism that I've been given of Luke Jacobs is, you need to have a great match now. It's your time to have a great match. The Atlas stuff wasn't great. His last match for the Cruiserweight title wasn't great. This match was that great match. This was the match I've been waiting for Luke Jacobs to have. I I like this match so much, I am scared to go back and watch it on demand in four months' time when Andy finally pulls his finger out and uploads things in a reasonable time. 
I am scared to go back and watch this match because I'm scared that I won't love it as much as I loved it in that building. And it had everything going against it in some respects. Oku was playing a, a, a pure heel in this match. And I don't know when the heel turn came because I haven't watched the past two Rev Pro shows because Andy's not bothered uploading them. They were doing this weird tribalism thing where Luke Jacobs was representing Manchester, his hometown, and Michael Oku was representing London. And it, I normally hate that sort of thing because I've been to London and the blood streaks down the palace walls in London in the same way that it does in Manchester. The crowd were chanting that London's a shithole. Well, everywhere's a shithole if you're poor. And I think we should stick together and show a little bit of solidarity. So I don't get into that sort of thing. But I tell you what, I did in this match. When Luke Jacobs was waltzing round the ring, g the crowd up. I normally hate that sort of thing, pandering to the crowd, but I got so into it because he found the charisma that I'd been waiting for him to have for months. When he was in the half crab and he was bleeding and he had his hand up, that's classic, classic pro wrestling imagery. I don't need to tell you the matches where that sort of thing comes from because when I describe that spot to you, I know you haven't seen that match, but you know what that spot looks like. I know you thought of WrestleMania 13. I know you did. I was so desperate for Luke Jacobs to win this match and it was a feeling that I've not had in so long where, I, you know, if you saw me, I was sat by the stage, behind, in front of the speaker, not behind the stage, I was in front of the stage, I wound up. I was sat in front of the stage by the speaker and I was sat with my legs crossed and I was scratching my chin like a ponce because I was trying to pretend that I was thinking about wrestling but I wasn't thinking about wrestling during this match. I was feeling wrestling during this match. It was brilliant. And I was convinced he wasn't going to win going in. I was convinced that Michael Oku... You know, Luke Jacobs is the, he's the heavyweight champion for progress. And, pro, and progress might not respect other companies, but I know that Andy does. And I thought in my head, you're not going to strap him up. And as this match was going on, and in these little moments where I got distracted and the emotional part of my brain dropped and the stupid, thinky part of the brain that sometimes I just want to get rid of came in, I thought, I hope they called an audible and I hope that Luke Jacobs goes over. And he did. And it was brilliant. The crowd just erupted. And it felt like you were part of something for a, for a brief moment. It was our kid. It was our lad. It was Luke Jacobs from Manchester winning the belt in his hometown. And I felt pride. And I never feel like that. I, I'm not a patriot. I, I love everywhere. It's like when people do the Scousers thing. And I'm from Manchester. I'm supposed to hate the Scousers. But I don't. Because I love Liverpool. I think it's brilliant. And I'd never get that feeling, but I did hear. And that was a testament to the story that they told. And I know what you're thinking. I know you're thinking about Michael Oku, because Michael Oku was in this match. And Michael Oku... Who tells better stories than Michael Oku in Europe? Who tells better stories? We all give credit... Well, I don't, but a lot of people give credit to Will Ospreay for those five stars. I think it should go to Michael Oku just as much. 
Michael Oku has been an ambassador for this company. He's been brilliant for Red Pro, and he was brilliant here as well. And this cruiserweight run coming to the end is so significant. It's so significant because this run has been fantastic. And I tell you what, we should do a deep dive on it, shouldn't we? I've just had the idea. We should go into that Cruiserweight title run. We should go back and look at some of the moments from his... from Because it feels like... So the way he left the ring was really confusing. He was talking in the Discord... I, I, I hope this isn't true, but there was talk about him retiring or going off, and he, he did in a way. It felt like he was going off into the sunset a little bit, and there was talk about whether he was going to go to America or whether he was going to retire from wrestling. I don't know anything. I haven't been told anything. I've no idea, but I hope he's not because they've got that story with Connor Mills wide open. It's not been resolved yet. He's, he's just a brilliant wrestler, and I want to see more and more of him. I want to watch him all the time. So I, I don't know, but it just feels like this is pro wrestling but properly, isn't it? You've had this big, long, storied, revered run and I'm, I'm using these words and I almost feel like I should hold myself back and not use words like that. But then again, it has been. Michael Oku's run with the Cruiserweight belt has been brilliant. He's kept that company going so much and now they've handed it over to that hot new talent. He's put him over. And he really did put Luke Jacobs over it. He really, really did. You know, there was the bit... I'll never forget it. This moment where... Do you know, he does that sort of run around the ring and the leap to the outside, Michael Oku. And he does the clap. And everyone clapped along with him. But as they clapped, they went, Luke! Where their hands came together. And everyone in in the warehouse was doing it in unison. Everybody was so behind Luke in this. And it's that sort of thing is impossible not to get into. Could you have had this match in London? Probably not, no. Would it have been... I mean, I went four and a quarter, four and a half. I'll be honest with you. And maybe that's a lie bump. Maybe that's the fact that he's from Manchester. I I, I don't want to know. I don't want to go back and watch it. I almost, I don't mean this, obviously, but I almost don't want to hear your opinion on this match because I want this match to live in my soul. I want it to live in my heart. That's what I want for this match. It felt like a moment that I was part of. Am I a bit, I've gone a bit too far. Have I gone too, no, I haven't gone too far. I loved it. Luke, it was a brilliant match. The banger in Manchester. The banger in Manchester. Brilliant. Brilliant match. Anyway, Francesco Akira. Is it Francesco or Francesco? Anyway, Akira, he came out and challenged at the end as well. And I was a bit disappointed, actually, when he came out and challenged because Luke Jacobs was on the... (laughs) He's on the microphone. And he was about to... um, He was about to explain, I think, how he is a heavyweight champion in one promotion and a cruiserweight champion in the other. But I've been saying this for months now, since this podcast started, that Luke Jacobs is a power junior. And let's be honest... If Progress are doing it, it's probably crap, isn't it? If Progress are doing it, it's probably wrong. And if RevPro are doing it, it's probably right. Anyway, Akira came out and challenged him. And that's going to be a great match. And I hope I get to see it. I don't know when it's going to be. I assume maybe at the 9th anniversary show. Not now, is it 10th anniversary? Obviously, that's why they're having a big weekend. And I'm going to try my best to get down to get it. To watch it. Do you know what? I need to calm down, don't I? I can't even speak. 
can't even speak. Just let me have a moment. I'm going to have a moment. Right. Really good match. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Next one was the Velocities against Aussie Open. It's weird, isn't it, this one? I was so excited for this match. This feels like a classic matchup. We mentioned one before about Hiromu and Dragon Lee or Tanahashi and Okada. It fe- you know, these matches where two wrestlers, or in this case tag teams, wrestle and you got that you've that all that knowledge of the past is just living around your head as you as you're preparing to watch it, and you know you're about to see something that could potentially be the best match you have ever seen. And it's unfortunate, in a way, in retrospect, that I went into it with those expectations. And I remember uh, texting my wife about it, and I said, "I think this might be one of the best matches I am ever going to see live." And I've been really lucky. I've seen some great ones. I think my favourite is I saw Will Ospreay against Okada in Reading for Red Pro. And it was I just, it wasn't best in terms of work that I've seen. It wasn't best in terms, you know, because I was at the Copper Box show. You know, it wasn't in terms of grandeur and stage because it was just in a in a gym in Reading. But it was that point where Will Ospreay was just breaking out and he was just about to go to New Japan. I don't think we knew at the time. And he had this match with Okada and it it felt like I was there for something special. And it's that feeling when you that makes live wrestling perfect. That you're there for something special. And I really hoped and thought and expected this tag match to be that something special. And if I'm honest, it wasn't. And I probably would go three and three quarters on this. And that's a really good match, you know, to have that match on your doorstep. If you remove any of that history and any of the past that these matches have been consistently flirting with five stars or even getting five stars in the case of the work in Australia from lots and lots of people three and three quarters is is really good in a semi-main on your doorstep but you can't remove that knowledge of history you can't get rid of it especially because in a lot of ways that's what sells the match to you. You know, as a, as a booker and a promoter, he's using that history to get you in the door. There were lots of things, I think, that unfortunately were working against this match. The first one, and this is where I'm going to sound a little bit harsh here, were the crowd. The crowd 
there was probably, I don't know, say there's a thousand people there. I have no idea. I'm terrible at estimating crowds, by the way, so don't take that as any kind of number. 998 of them were fantastic. Two of them couldn't handle their alcohol. One of them in particular kept doing for the first say this was a 20 minute match it was it was a it was a decent length match for the first 10 minutes of this match kept doing the Aussie 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 chant wrong and I felt like going over to him and being full Alan Partridge and saying stop getting chants wrong and I know that might sound like a silly thing. What what he was doing, by the way, to get it wrong. Do you know you do the Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi. And then you do the Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi again. And then the man doing Aussie, it is his responsibility and his, his chosen responsibility and the task that he has given himself that nobody has asked him to do. He's volunteered to say Aussie once. So we can then go Aussie, oi. Aussie, oi, and then have the satisfaction, the root note, the 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 last line of the limerick, Aussie, 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 oi, 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 and it ends on a really satisfying air. But what he kept doing was Aussie, Aussie, Aussie three times, continually, to the point where Kyle Fletcher borderline broke character to tell him to stop doing it. Now, I feel bad as a podcaster on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network calling out one person in the crowd. But I'm telling you what, mate, you ruined the start of that match. You really did. I don't know who he was. I don't know what he looks like, but he ruined it. Anyway, live and let live. Forgive, you know, because it wasn't just him that sort of that, that took away from this match. There was a real, and this is nobody's fault, but there was a really awful botch towards the start. Um, Paris de Silva tried to do that, just very, very bog standard move where, you know, someone gets thrown into the corner, they put that, uh, the hands on the on the ropes and they, they, they flip up into the air and the other wrestler goes in underneath them. But he just... I don't know whether the Irish whip was just a little harder than he was expecting or he committed to it a little bit too much, but he ended up going all the way over and smashing his back like the, the ring post hit the small of his back and the bump, the, the I mean, let's have a look at his Twitter. I would, if it was me, I'd have absolutely posted it, a picture of it. It looked awful and it was kind of on the side of the the ring where i was so i got a full view of it and he and mark davis had to break character for a second and and sort of you could tell he, he realized what was happening and he tried to reach out and grab which which i'm not criticizing him for by the way he absolutely absolutely should have done that um he had to sort of reach out and try and grab him and it, it just looked like an awful awful bump has he put a picture of it up on twitter Oh, he should have done. The, I'd have done. I mean, am I a bit of a sicko? No, he hasn't. Because it looked terrible on, on, on his back. It really did look bad. So the first half of that match, because the man in the crowd, oh, the couple of people in the crowd who were getting the chant wrong, and then the, um, the, the sort of that bump, 
it kind of it, it put it, there was too much going on around the match to really get invested in, and also they started the match off with a little bit too much grappling. I mean, once it got going and they started flipping and doing all sorts of exciting stuff, I was all on board. You know, I, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Um, but yeah, there was just a little bit around it that kind of took away, and they definitely because they're amazing wrestlers. All four of them are absolutely fantastic, and they 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 could they brought it back really well, just by the speed and the velocity of the pan, the pun of what they do. And I tell you what, when Aussie open get going there, there is nobody like them. Just I've said, it feels like this is the Australian style, isn't it? It's almost rule of three wrestling where they do a power move followed by another power move, followed by another power move so quickly. You can barely breathe them in. And I love that style of wrestling. I, I think it, it's so violent and brilliant. I, I think it's so good. But yeah, just a little bit of a letdown, really, um, which is nobody's fault because of things that happened. You know, the, it just it just was what it was. And then the main event, as I said, we got Connor Mills against Pac. Pac's a star, isn't he? And I know that sounds like I'm teaching my grandma to suck eggs. I know I don't need to tell you that, but there's something about being in the same room as him when he comes out, that he's just different. The last time I saw Pac was at a Future Shock show. And it was when he was um, Dragon Gate champion. What do they call the champion? Summer opening a gate or summer. Leave the back door open, champion, whatever it is. And he, he came out there in Stockport and just looked absolutely amazing. And the, the time just seems to slow down around him. And it was the same here in a bigger venue with three times as many people. Time just slowed down around him. And then Connor Mills came out and I thought, Do you know what, I need to rein myself in a bit because Connor Mills does deliver. He's not an exciting wrestler. He's not the wrestler I wanted to see in this spot, but he does deliver. We were given... Uh, by the ring announcer, our little booster, you know, hey, we're going to be on AEW TV. And then everybody started chanting AEW. And this is where I really started to think about this All-Atlantic Championship. And I, I said in the last episode that I think it's a great idea. And now after seeing it live, I'm not as convinced because what we got was an AEW TV match. And AEW TV matches are good. Like, I'm not one of these deeply concerned about AEW people, as I've said before. I really like AEW. They're my comfort. It's my comfort wrestling. I don't talk about it. I don't write about it very much. I just watch it on a Saturday morning when I wake up. I watch Dynamite on a Saturday morning. It's my routine. And I find it very, very comforting. Do I want to pay money for a ticket, though, to see the main event replaced by one of their bog-standard TV matches? And I'm asking that in a very Socratic way. I don't have the answer to that. And actually, the crowd have a definitive answer to that because their answer was yes. They were so into this. To the point where there were several people in the crowd 
with AEW belts. One of which kept holding it up, and I tweeted out that I was captivated by it. Like I just, I was, I was just. I thought originally it was the big gold belt, you know, the WCW big gold belt, and I was amazed that someone kept holding this up. But it turns out it was the AEW title, and he in particular was so into the idea of having this AEW match. I'm convinced that he'd never been to a Red Pro show before, and he'd just gone for this. And I think that was true of a lot of people in the crowd, that they were there for this AEW match. I was into it to start with, and as I said, I was giving it the benefit of the doubt. But then, then Kip Sabian turned up in the crowd, or what I think is Kip Sabian, I, I don't know. It could have been anyone because they had the box on the red. And then all of the attention was on this thing that I don't like. This gimmicky thing. And even though I was seeing Pac in the ring with someone who he is capable of having a really good match with, suddenly this felt like a TV match. And this is one of Red Pro's biggest shows. It's not a York Hall. But it's kind of just a tiny little step down from that. And I felt like it didn't really meet the expectations of a main event of this show. And I'm saying that, by the way, in complete recognition that I'm in the minority. Because everybody in the crowd absolutely loved it. Or most people seem to. I know the Ogdens didn't, because I went over and spoke to them halfway through. And, <laughs> just, and, and I think I think uh, Andy summed it up the best, because I, I wanted to talk to him, I introduced myself, and he went, oh, I'm Neil David. And then he just sort of looked at the ring, looked at me, and then his Rochdale draw went, what's the point in this? And I, do you know what? I kind of agreed with him. What was the point in this? And again, I think we're in the minority. But he said... When I met him, it was nice to meet the other other grumpy northern podcaster, and I'm glad that we were on the same page of this because I just came away from this match thinking, what was the point in that? And the match was, I I don't really have anything to say. I'm sat here, I'm, I'm honestly I'm racking my brains for something to, interesting to say about the match. And really, the best thing about it, as I said, was Pac's entrance because that's absolutely captivating. He's an absolute star. I'm genuinely happy for for Connor Mills that he got this spot. I, I think that it's going to be interesting to see how this is received in the wider world. Because he doesn't have the capital that Shota Umino has. That match, and this is a bit of the analysis of when I, I talked about how the Umino match would be received. I missed something really important from my analysis of it. And I think that was People really, really like Shota Umino and they really like an idea of Shota Umino that I don't necessarily think exists, but whether it exists or not, and it's just some weird simulacra, the people who like the Death Riders, who are into the relationship he has with John Moxley, who are into the capital that that gives them and the feeling that, that gives them, they're going to really let themselves enjoy the Shota Umino match. And in a way, doesn't really matter what that match was actually like because people will come away from it feeling good and I'm not that sounds like I'm being really judgmental and I'm not you like it go for it Connor Mills doesn't have that I don't think many people 
really know who Connor Mills is outside of people who really love Red Pro and watch Red Pro and go to a lot of the shows. I would be really surprised if he, if I could say, for example, even in the Voices of Wrestling Slack, which is a bunch of people who are as obsessed with wrestling as anybody you're likely to meet. And I wonder what percentage of them would know who Connor Mills is. I can think of some names that would know who he is, but I can think of more that wouldn't. So it's not going to have that forgiveness. And the criticisms of the production are going to come more to the fore, I think. And actually, I don't know if I mentioned this on the show. I think it was on the 24 live uh, hour live stream, which is why I'm getting confused. But actually, I think they got away with the production um, for the last match because it was um, Taz and Excalibur doing the commentary and it was proper produced commentary. I think that that really saved them because I think in a lot of ways, that's more important than the visual. So that was the show. And then I had a lovely walk home along Salford Keys. Oh, and I had, a, I had a good look at the dirty old town. So it's, it feels like I've been really critical of it. And in some ways I have. And in some, But that Luke Jacobs match, I loved. I will remember that moment. And in some ways, I think it's a four and a quarter star match. So a really good match. In fact, a great match. But there are lots of four and quarter star matches in the world. But this is a live experience and, and a feeling that it gave me that will stay with me. And I wonder if I can rate that a little bit higher then. I wonder if I'm letting the critical part of my brain take over and I should be bolder and braver and rate it higher. But I don't know. I feel like I've, I've ranted about that match too much. I think the good thing about Red Pro is, though, whether it's good or whether it's bad, and as, as I've outlined, there was good parts of this show and there were bad parts of this show, it's always enjoyable to think about and to talk about. I never feel with Red Pro like I'm being patronised. I never feel like I'm being ripped off. I always feel like I'm being presented a product that is worth analysing. And I think that, to me, is the measure of a great promotion. I mean, think of the worst promotion in the world. WWE, worst promotion in the world. And people don't even think about that anymore, do they? They don't even bother to analyse what's going on because it's a waste of time. Think of the worst promotion in Europe, Progress progress Wrestling. Nobody bothers to analyse what they're doing because it's insulting often what they do. Whereas with RevPro, I feel like I can analyse it. And that is worth a lot to me. It really is worth a lot to me. I value that. And that's why they're my favourite promotion. Because I always feel like it's worthwhile analysing and thinking about it. Anyway, that was the show. Let's wrap it up, shall we? Do you know, while I was just getting this ready, I've just gone onto Twitter and I've seen, um, there's this promotion in Denmark called Body Slam Pro Wrestling and I've been meaning to get into Body Slam for so long that I just, I think, I don't know what it is, there's just something about Scandi Graps that I really want to get into, but they don't seem to put the shows up anywhere. And they've just released this video called Laying the Smackdown in Skagen. And they've just put highlights up. And it's this show that's outside. 
<laughs> it's just these lights in the background and like blasted techno music going on with this really hard hitting looking wrestling. Just huge slams. It looks absolutely amazing. It was on the 21st of July and I'm desperate to watch this. The, I go on WXW now and I know they put stuff up on there, but their last show since like, it's been like Christmas. Let's go on it, Body Slam. Yeah, it's like February 26th. I, I don't know if I can talk about stuff that's that old. I, I, I don't know what's going on. Or if, if I'm missing something or they put it up somewhere that I've just not been able to find, then please let me know because I really do want to watch it. Um, it just it, it looks like, Go watch this video. It, it just looks like... It looks like my sort of wrestling. and I, I, I can't explain why. You just have to see it to get it. Another thing, I forgot to mention this at the start, actually, that I've really enjoyed. Have you seen that Will Ospreay promo? He's still cutting promos on Kenny Omega, uh, really slagging him off. Uh, The promo is absolutely brilliant. I think um, this is something that uh, Joel from Super Jcast retweeted by saying the worst person makes a great point. And he's absolutely true. Because this promo, continuing this feud with Kenny Omega... And he talks about how he made that shirt that was a rip-off. He's got, like, the one-winged angel on it. And Kenny Omega issued a cease and desist uh, over copyright. And Will Ospreay does this promo where he says, well, when you were doing the two-sweet sign, you got a cease and desist, and you kicked off about it and said it was unfair. And it's such a brilliant promo. And do you know what's bugging me about it? I know it was probably Kenny Omega's idea, or at least they talked about this. This isn't natural, but they're doing it so well that I don't know that for sure. I'm like 95% sure that Kenny Omega is in on this, and I love it. I am so captivated by it. I love the fact it's working me and other people. It's got to end in a match, this, hasn't it? I'm so into this feud, and it's just promos and interviews and they're working us all they're doing it on twitter and in the observer or was it fightful or somewhere he did it um, kenny omega it's brilliant i absolutely love it and i i think that is going to be an absolutely brilliant match Anyway, I'm going to wrap it up now. Um, again, we've just done the one show today. I apologise for it being a little bit late. We've had technical issues and stuff. Um, please get into the Voices of Wrestling Discord. And I've got a board in there. We've got a really great little community in there. We've got Chris, uh, Chris and Luna and Trish and, and Stee and lots of people that come in there and we and we chat about um, a lot of the things that are happening in Europe. And, and I'd, I'd really like to be part of it. So please get in there and have a, and, and have a listen. Um, and sorry, and join in with the conversation. Um, have a lovely fortnight. I promise it'll be on time uh, for the next episode. And uh, I'm off to eat some cheese and crackers. So catch you in a bit. Mm-hmm.